Today on the show, I'll be interviewing Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz and Josie Thompson about the neuroscience of leadership. Welcome to Leadership Edge. Searching the corners of modern thought to find the secret spices that make a great inspirational leader. With your host, Trish Everett. So welcome everybody. And on the show today, I have Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz and Josie Thompson. So Jeffrey Schwartz is a research psychiatrist at UCLA School of Medicine and a seminal thinker and researcher in the field of self-directed neuroplasticity. He's also the author of over 100 scientific publications in the fields of neuroscience and psychiatry and several popular books including You Are Not Your Brain, The Four-Step Solution to Changing Bad Habits, Ending Unhealthy Thinking and Taking Control of Your Life. Josie Thompson is a multi-award winning executive coach, speaker, author, single mother and two-time cancer survivor. She has completed master's studies in neuroleadership and was awarded the International Gold Stevie Award for Maverick of the Year, Difference Maker, for 2014 and 2015. Josie and Dr. Swartz have been collaborating and delivering webinars together for several years, talking about the taking charge of your brain and ending bad habits. They're also in the process of publishing a new leadership book about the neuroscience of strategic leadership. So wonderful to have them here on the show today. Okay, and welcome. Welcome, Josie. Welcome, Jeff. And it's a delight to have you here on the show. And I'm, I'm so excited about what we're going to dive into and talk about today. So to start with, I would love to know what your, what your picture is of leadership. How would you define leadership? So, uh, look, obviously, the whole issue of having a vision, um, having a direction, but the way we define leadership and in general the the way we organize our thinking refers to this concept that, that is very central called the wise advocate and essentially you want to be a clear-minded um, observer and in our view a clear-minded observer, first of all, of yourself. So I think that's the part of the perspective that we have that's different or, you know, somewhat unique, which is leadership is usually defined or spoken about in terms of, you know, what are you doing to others? How are you responding to others? You know, what's your organizational role? Where are you directing things? Of course, we agree with all of that. Um, and, 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 of course, we want to increase people's capacity to do all of those things. But, but we also believe that because of the importance of the term mindfulness, we want to integrate that kind of mental action into what we mean by the term leadership. So that really gets into a clear-minded perspective on your own thinking, your own motivations for action, your own sense of directedness, 
And we really believe that if, you, if, you, if a leader knows him or herself's own inner process, that will greatly enhance their capacity to know, to know the, 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 the mental processes of the people that they're trying to lead, give them a sense of directedness, and also help with issues having to do with organizational management and and all, all the issues of command and control that often get in the way of doing effective leadership. So we, we really do believe in, in mind and introspection as a very important key to what leadership is. Mm. And what I'd add to that is that Dr. Schwartz and I have been working together for almost a decade and the appetite within the corporate landscape for understanding how our mind directs our capacity to drive and deliver results through ourselves and our people is becoming more and more paramount. And that is the, the main focus of our new body of work. That's amazing. Okay, so, so what I'm getting here is that you know, you're seeing leadership in terms of what, how it's always been seen, but what you're adding to that is that what goes on in our mind has the ability to take leadership a step further. And, um, Jeffrey, you talked about the, the concept of a wise advocate, and I would love to dive into that a little bit more and really understand what is a wise advocate, what does that mean, and What's that got to do with being a leader and what's that got to do with mindfulness? So I'd love to hear more about it. <laughs> That's very fair. That's an extremely good question. Mm -hmm. um, and the answer hinges on the somewhat less abstract concept, although it's still a pretty abstract concept and I won't deny it, of a true self. So, so basically, um, let's just say a few words about mindfulness itself, which is no longer an obscure term. I mean, 40 some odd years ago, because it is over 40 years ago that I started really working on a daily basis with mindfulness, it too was an obscure term. And it's no longer an obscure term, but I still think it's quite a misunderstood term in a lot of ways. And, and, and I will openly say that the wise advocate concept is an attempt to get the classical old view of mindfulness back into the picture. So in, in that way, classical mindfulness and the wise advocate have a very, very lot in common. And so mindfulness is this sometimes called outer perspective on inner awareness or being able to see inside yourself with a clear-minded perspective so that you know what you're thinking, you know what you're feeling, you, you know how you're responding, you, you're understanding sort of the plans that you're coming up with as they're coming up in your mind and making assessments. And that's the key word where the wise advocate comes in. It's definitely true that a classical understanding of mindfulness very much includes a concept of making assessments. Leaders have to make assessments. And, 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 and this is part of the core art of being a leader. And it's, it's not, it's, I don't think it's accentuated to nearly the extent that it needs to be. So the classical 
the classical understanding of mindfulness was frequently defined in the ancient tradition as a form of wise attention. That's one of the reasons we came up with the term wise advocate, because mindfulness is not just an observational process. It critically is an observational process. So this whole concept of being in the present moment, it's true, but it's radically insufficient. And, and, and one of the problems that has happened with understanding mindfulness is they all, the people who are popularizers seem to make it sound like if you're in the present moment, that means you're mindful. That turns out not to be a true statement. I mean, what you have to be is in the present moment with an assessment mode of what's traditionally called wise attention functioning. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and so that's, you know, so I, so maybe that's the beginning of an answer. I mean, so you're aware of what's going on, but you're also making assessments about what the implications of what's going on in the present are. And, mm -hmm. and so here's, here's the simple way of putting it, that any traditional person in business leadership would go, oh, that's what you're talking about. I'm talking about being goal directed. And so it's one thing to say, be goal-directed, but then how can you say to people, how are we going to be goal-directed and how sophisticated, and this is a very important point, how sophisticated is our concept of being goal-directed? Because you can be goal-directed, and this is, gets into the work that I've done with Josie and Art Kleiner that we published in Strategy and Business and so on, of there's a low road and there's a high road. Now, we do not use the term low road with a negative connotation. We don't. The low road is critically important. The low road, though, is being goal-directed with respect to thinking about what people want. Obviously, any leader in a business situation has got to have a high degree of awareness and sensitivity to what people want what the leader wants, what the employees want, what the customers want, what the suppliers want, et cetera. I mean, that, that, that's part of the profound complexities of being a leader. So we think that's very important, but we just don't think it's enough for being a wise leader. For being a wise leader, you need, in addition to that, ways of making assessments about the relevance of what people want to long-term goals and, and, how to, and how to implement long-term goals. And critical to that and critical to the use of the wise advocate function becomes the question, what are people thinking and what are they going to do? And it turns out that what people want is not nearly as closely related to what people are thinking and what they're going to do as many people assume, and the thing, and now I'll bring in the neuroscience and hand it over to Josie, the thing that really leads us to see that and where I first got the insight is from neuroscience because it turns out that there are two separate, pretty discrete areas of the brain that happen to be very close to one another, but they are discernibly different locations that that get activated by questions of the kind, what does that person want? What do you want? A certain part of the brain gets activated by that, which happens to be the lower part of what's called the medial 
prefrontal cortex. But then there's another part that's above that, which, which is the, what's called the more superior or the more dorsal medial prefrontal cortex, and it gets activated by questions of the, of the form, what is that person thinking and what is that person going to do? And in that neuroscience distinction came one of the motivations for what we call the low road and the high road, which fit very well into this concept of the wise advocate. So the bottom line becomes most leaders, most people basically know what they want, at least to some degree. Now, we're trying to increase the depth and breadth of that in serious ways. So that the question, what do you want, becomes more profound. I mean, what do you want for your organization? What do you want for your employees? What do you want? You know, I mean, sometimes we say, you know, what, think more about what you want your children to think about you after you're gone. That's going to move you up towards the high road because, because the high road and the wise advocate come in, and this goes right to my initial statement that I made when we started. We believe that if you understand what you are thinking and what you're actually going to do, what is the relationship between what you're thinking, what you think you're going to do, and what you actually do, right? Because that's not a trivial relationship. See, that, that's, that's where the – and we believe that by you – and you consult this inner, loving, wise guide and have inner dialogue with this inner, loving, wise guide about questions like, why do I want that? Where am I going with that? Where's that coming from? What aspect of my inner life is directing me in that direction? Is that really consistent with my long-term goals? What am I thinking? Literally, what am mm-hmm. I thinking? And we believe that if you can do that, you're going to be able to think much more clearly about what other people are thinking, what your organization you know, is trying to accomplish, the direction things are going you know, et cetera, and, and, and will, will allow you to be a much more sophisticated, deep, wise leader. And that's why we call the whole concept wise leadership coming from the wise advocate. And that's what we mean by the true self. Your true mm-hmm. self is the self you're trying to become, the self you're trying to get your organization to embody that arises from a continual, never-ending, that's really important, it's always a process, it's always in process. You're never actually your true self, and your organization is never fully its true self. It's always a process in development. So there's a constant need for this inner dialogue that then synergizes with the dialogue with your organization and with the people in your organization. Mm. So, Jason, do you have something to add? Okay. So what I would add to that, and that was a wonderful explanation, Jeff, <laughs> um, is also allowing people to understand that space in the middle between the reflective brain and our capacity to discern, which is what Dr. Schwartz has been talking about, versus our reflexive brain, which is our desire to want to attain immediate relief and action to a trigger. And a lot of times, as we know as leaders, we are on on the hot seat needing to deliver results, needing to make decisions quite swiftly. 
And sometimes it can have us employ what Jeff has just described as that low road thinking, which doesn't always take into account the best interest for the longer term. It might provide immediate relief and an an immediate result, but is that wise? And that's really at the core of what we're talking about here. Beautiful. So, okay, so what I'm understanding here is that when you're talking about the wise advocate, you have sort of two parts to that. You have this idea of mindfulness, which is not just being here in the present moment. It's taking that and it's expanding that to have wise attention. Um, so there's a there was a Dharma teacher out at Insight um, meditation school in Seattle that had a wonderful podcast and he would talk about, and I wish I could remember his name and I will get it for the show notes, but he would talk about mindfulness as this acronym RAW, which was about realising, observing, accepting, but then responding. And it feels like this responding part is so largely left out of mindfulness because that's the part that you're talking about that is the goal-directed and the... Um, the part that is critically looking at things and is not just being in the present moment, but it is also responding to it. That's actually taking it to that next, that next space. So that's really exciting because I feel like yep. that when I read the mindfulness literature, so much is left out of that last step mm. of, okay, I'm here, but now what do I do? How do I move forward? And, mm. and your, your dialogue that you guys are creating is very much in that elk of, okay, well, how do we as leaders then respond? Because you don't want a leader that just sits there and is very present. <laughs> you want them to do something and to respond to things. And then, mm. Josie, you beautifully put this concept about the high road and the low road that you talk about and the, that, that responding, that where you're actually responding to the world, you can do it via this sort of long-term discerning process which has mm-hmm. that, that um, neuro um, process, yeah. <laughs> that, neuro mm-hmm. process that is um, going down one way and, and, Jeff, you were saying that that is by what are they thinking questions or you have the, the low road which is another whole brain, brain process that happens that's about, well, what do I want questions? Mm. So could you, could you both um, help me to understand the difference between these two processes and ways of thinking? So there's another very common, in our, in our approach, there's a very common term that's very concrete or reasonably concrete that helps to explain that, and that term is deceptive brain messages. So, so the thing is that when you learn to pay attention, um, and you know, when you do the breath awareness exercise that, you know, really does help strengthen your wise advocate and your observational powers, um, you notice that a lot of things are coming into your mind that are not goal directed. I mean, there are a lot of distractions. The world is full of distractions. And then as Josie just said, a lot of those distractions carry emotional um, connections that lead to fear, anxiety, and then, and then your habit center just gives automatic responses. So, so the first thing that you learn to do, and that's why we have a four-step program, relabel, reframe, refocus, revalue. Let's just focus on the first two steps, and then that leads to... Wise attention means refocusing wisely. When you relabel, you're saying to yourself, 
the quality of feeling or thought that you're having in the present moment in response to any situation. It could be excited. It could be happy. It could be scared. It, 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 it could be nervous. It could be tense, it, whatever it is. Then to answer your question, the way you bring this, I love that word discernment, assessment and discernment. Those are two hallmark functions of the wise advocate of mindfulness properly understood. Once you realize that there is anything having to do with anxiety, fear, um, discomfort, and that the brain message is distracting you from your goal, we call that a deceptive brain message. And when you label it as a deceptive brain message, that enables you to start the process of reframing it and correcting what is classically called in cognitive psychology, the cognitive distortions, why that deceptive brain message is false. We're trying to use wise advocate to not have a belief in false brain messages. And that's where the whole notion of reframing comes in. And so when you relabel and reframe, then you find the proper things to refocus on. One final point that Josie is very good at pointing out and, and was implicit in what she said. We also have this very important concept that we won't get into the neuroscience of it all today called free won't. One of the first things you want to be able to do is not do something that's not helpful. So, so there's a huge amount of power in just being able to observe, reflect, assess, discern, so that you stop, and here's the key neuroscience point, you stop what otherwise would be a completely automatic process that is below the level of conscious awareness. Because when you get anxious or you get frightened or, or you feel tense, your executive brain does not operate in the same way. Now what takes over is the habit brain that, that we share with reptiles, birds, all lower mammals. And so there are automated responses that will happen unless you prevent them from happening. It takes executive function to not act when you're feeling tense. That turns out to be a very important point because by taking the executive action of not acting in an automatic way, using assessment and discernment, you're now in touch with your wise advocate and you can use that connection to come up with a better reframed idea to refocus on. So what you're saying here is that you have a choice at a point. So you have some sort of something come in that you have an emotional response to. And at that point, you can either send it off to the habit part of your brain that's in the reactionary or you can make a choice to send it off to this more executive thinking. And That's nicely stated, but, you know, it's even more powerful than that. Because the word choice is the key word. I mean, that, mm. that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring the word choice, decision-making, to the forefront of leadership. And, yeah. in fact, the, 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 the slight 
improvement in what you just said in terms of the neuroscience of it is that you don't choose to send it to the habit center. If you don't do anything, it's going to go to the habit center. The habit center is what happens when you do not make a choice. When you do not make a choice, when you do not bring your executive brain into the process and make a choice and a decision, the automated response is what will happen. So the yeah. automated response is what happens when you don't make a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I so you, have, yeah. you have a choice to make a choice. <laughs> and, and, and that's what we're really trying to stress. Use the power of choice to make a choice and make a wise choice. Because if you don't make a choice, the automatic thing is just going to happen. Yeah. And the thing I would add to that is that mindfulness, which allows the wise advocate to come forward, is the circuit breaker that enables our capacity to engage that high road function. And it's something that takes practice. It's, it's quite effortful to do. The habit centre is the path of least resistance and will kick in when you're not paying attention to what you are paying attention to. So what this body of work is, is about really putting us not just in the driver's seat, but the hands on the steering wheel and not allowing this vehicle to just go off-road, that we're keeping our hands firmly on the wheel and in charge of how we direct our focus and attention. That's it. And that's choice. You know, and, that, and, and what we're trying to do is get that choice into your habit center so that that positive thing happens mm-hmm. automatically and then that opens up your brain to make more sophisticated choices. Yes. But, but, but I mean, so, you know, so that's, that's the process. Mm-hmm. So it is this concept of deciding to use choice wisely and realizing that if you don't make a choice wisely, the same old thing is just going to happen again without you even like realizing it because it's all happening below consciousness. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then you end up saying, how did we end up in the same old spot again? Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to start not just going into the same old habit thing and actually wants to start making a choice, what's one thing that they can do to be able to start what you were calling, Josie, the circuit breaker? What's, what's one small step? If they've never practiced mindfulness before, or, you know, what's one thing that someone can do just to to start on that journey. I know, I know you have four steps and definitely look more into these guys if you want to start to make this choice. But what's, what's something you could share with people right here, right now? Well, uh, step one, relabel combined with, and obviously Josie knows what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, we try not to turn this into a meditation program because we know business executives do not want to do a meditation program by and large. But just having a basic approach to understanding what the breath awareness exercise is, that immediately does what you're asking. So there is actually a somewhat, it, it's a little mechanical. I mean, it shouldn't be done completely mechanically, but but it's an exercise. And it's like some people say, go work out. And, that, and that's usually a good suggestion, but you, you want to work out while paying attention. But this is a mental workout. So it's just this in and out breathing, you know, and, and, and the, the key term is take, this is it informally, informally. The formal version isn't that much more complicated than this. And I have free videos on this, free videos. Here it is. You just, you, you try to 
place your attention for one or two breaths through the nostrils. So you want breath through the nostril and you're trying to pay attention to the feeling of the movement of the air. So you just go, while just feeling the air come in, feeling the feeling of the air come in, feeling the feeling of the air go out, breathing at the nostril. And, and um, I do want to say that, you know, look, I was in, you know, classical Buddhism for, you know, three full decades. I do want to also, though, say assertively, this wise advocate concept is very consistent with a Christian perspective. And one line that I use from the Bible that really will remind you about this in and out breathing happens to me in the book of Genesis, chapter two, verse seven, in which it says, the Lord blew in the nostrils the breath of life and the man became the Adam, the man or woman, you know, the Adam became a living being. So that, that, that we have this source of life mm. that literally God breathed into us through the nostrils. And mm. anyone who has any kind of a Jewish Christian comfort level is going to find that very easy to connect with. And then that helps calm you down also yeah. to the degree that you, 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 you like it. So you're breathing in and out through the nostrils. And the key words are nostrils and feeling of the movement of the air. So that's what you're paying attention to, a physical feeling, which is the feeling of the movement of the air through the nostrils. You do that, you're paying attention, you're in touch with your wise advocate, Josie. And and that exercise, whilst it appears to be quite mechanical and quite simple, takes incredible discipline to do it precisely well. Because what we're giving is a single-pointed goal of attention, directing your focus and attention to the sensation of the air as it enters and leaves the body. And so by giving your mind something to focus on, you actually have to be here now. And then eventually you start expanding that awareness to start taking on that observer perspective. And this is where the mindfulness or the the wise advocate can now enter the room. Right. Wonderful. And to just quote a Buddhist Buddhist text that puts it, you know, so really there is a classic, the classic Buddhist text on mindfulness, which is called the Satipatthana Sutta, the, the discourse on the foundations of mindfulness. This whole issue of relabeling the, 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 what it says in there, this exercise is the first object of mindfulness. So the first description of what, how to practice mindfulness in that discourse is this mindfulness of in and out breathing. And the text says, when the person breathes in, the person knows, I'm breathing in. And when the person breathes out, the person knows, I'm breathing out. That's the original mindful relabeling. It's where I got the concept of relabeling from. So, mm-hmm. so, so it doesn't get more textual than that. That's 2,500 years old. That is a, the classic Buddhist text on mindfulness, the classic text. So, mm-hmm. so that's what you know when you're breathing in, you know when you're breathing out, and you're labeling in, out. Now, you know, I mean, so that's where the whole notion of the, that's why the feeling of the movement of the air is so important because you'll know when you're breathing in and you'll know when you're breathing out when you're paying attention to the feeling of the movement of the air. Plus you're in connection with your body. 
I mean, you know, because it's part of the category called mindfulness of the body, as a matter of fact. So, so it's not, it's, it's, a, it's a physical feeling that you're paying attention to, which is the feeling caused by the movement of the air and you're in, out. And obviously, as I'm pointing out, you bring in the wise advocate concept, then you, you, you know, you can associate it with something greater and, and that where your source of life is and all of those, you know, and that's big. But the most mechanical part of it is just being aware of in and out breathing. That is mindfulness. That's that is the core of all mindfulness. So there is so much that I would like to dive into here, but we are running out of time. So I'm just going to ask both of you just like one last, what is a takeaway one from all of this? I've covered so much. There's just like bubbling with amazement. Um, but what's one takeaway from both of you that you can leave with leaders today um, from everything that we've spoken about, which is a big question I've just totally put you on the spot with. <laughs> Josie, would you like to start? I guess for me, it's, it's the fact that you always have choice. Mm. Always, even when it doesn't feel like it and your body wants to hijack the way you, you direct um, your attention. If you can just seize the moment and get into that, mo- and into that state of awareness and discernment, you can channel your focus and attention in much more adaptive and useful and wise ways. Right. And, and you have a wise advocate. So always mm-hmm. remember, if you look in for that inner dialogue, you know, the, it will be there. And, and, and when you're paying attention clearly, making assessments, knowing what's going on in the present mm-hmm. moment, and asking yourself the question, what am I thinking? What am I doing? Is it aligned with my long-term goals? Those questions will put you in touch with your wise advocate. You have an inner dialogue, the inner loving guide. It's always available. Every time you use it, you're getting closer to actualizing your true self and the true self of your organization. I just want to applaud. That was just a beautiful way to end the end the time together. So thank you both so much for joining me and for sharing all of this amazing wisdom with everyone. So in the show notes, I will put lots of links so that you can get in touch with these guys, see what they're up to and really start down this path of making a choice, using your wife's advocate and really getting out there and making a really valuable contribution through your leadership. So thank and you the new so book will be out very soon, Trish. So the yes. book um, that we've been collaborating on about wise leadership and all of this science will be uh, published by Columbia University later this year. Wonderful, wonderful. So, yes, definitely check them out for the book later this year. It's From all of this, I'm, I can't wait to read it. <laughs> okay. so, thank, thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode of The Leadership Edge. It's been a delight to share this interview with you. And come over and check out the show notes at www.theleadershipedge.com.au. That's www.theleadershipedge.com.au. 
And if you would like to be in the know and be part of the Leadership Edge tribe, on that same webpage, join up to be part of the mailing list so that you can get all the info about new episodes that come out and other happenings in the Leadership Edge world. And new podcasts, so if you feel like jumping over to iTunes and rating or reviewing, that would be much appreciated. So that's all for now and have a wonderful day.